Jackson, who had molested me when I was about the same age and just as physically childlike as my own daughter. He'd done it on a night when I was so embittered by adult betrayals that I'd gotten drunk and slit my wrists. When I'd complained, he was banished from the inner circle for a while, but I was punished too for blowing the whistle on my father's lifestyle. Hey, Gavin, I said coolly, taking the high road. Nice to see you. You look really good. Pushing past him, I reached an oasis, Peter Bogdanovich, my father, figure, friend, and the director of Paper Moon. He wore his signature ascot, which would have looked funny and affected on any other man. It flashed me back to the day when we met for the first time at my father's house in Malibu. He asked me to take a walk with him on the beach. You don't look like you belong on the beach, I said, staring at that ascot. He'd rolled up his pants, and we headed off for what turned out to be my audition. I was a scrawny, knock-kneed little waif at seven, with tangles in my hair and no acting training. In fact, with little formal schooling at all. But Peter took me on. He'd later say that it was my scrappy attitude that got me the job. We exchanged warm greetings and then took our seats, with Peter as a bulwark between me and my father. As the credits rolled, there was a wild clapping for Madeline Kahn, also nominated for Best Supporting Actress for the film, who'd recently died of cancer. Then the screen filled with my wounded, willful face as eight-year-old Addie Loggins, standing on the prairie over her mother's open grave in Depression, era Kansas. I hadn't seen the movie in years. Entertainment Weekly would say that my performance rewrote the book on movie Moppets, calling me feisty, a child star for a hip, cynical age. Seeing that little face again reminded me that pain was the flip side of feistiness. My own young life had eerily echoed Addie's, even though my mother was still alive. In the grip of addiction, she virtually abandoned me and Griffin, leaving us in squalor, starving, shoeless and ragged, as well as beaten and abused by the men in her life. Ryan finally came to my rescue just as he was doing on screen in a sputtering old jalopy playing Moses Moe's prey, the Bible-peddling con man who was probably Addie's pa. He thought working together in Paper Moon would help us bond. This was our first opportunity to channel her mind and energy into something constructive, he told the press, and this movie would give her something she never had enough of, love. I never dreamed that shooting a film would be so hard. I imagined that it would be like play rehearsal with everyone sitting around on stools reciting lines to one another. The reality was both far more challenging and grueling, for there was less regulation then of child actors' hours. Even the concept of acting confused me. Idolizing my father and desperate to please, I once blew a take when I panicked at his gruffness and blurted, Daddy, are you mad at me? No, he growled. I'm doing the scene. Still, when I ad-libbed, Peter trusted me. The opening sequence ends with two church ladies persuading Mose to deliver Addie to her aunt in Missouri. They are gathering near a water pump, and a preacher says, Let the child get some water. As they haggle with Mose, trying to fob me off, the minister hands me a cup of water without a word of comfort. It wasn't in the script, but I knew exactly instinctively what Addie had to do. I turned away and dumped it on the ground. There's such a sadness and hopelessness in that gesture, coming from a character who has lost her barfly mother, the devil she knew. 
but there's a defiance too, proof that her spirit is unbroken. It is a measure of Peter's genius as a director that he recognized how deeply I identified with Addie's bruised innocence, steely wariness, and above all, resilience. I knew firsthand what it would take for her to survive. At the time, Ryan was considered one of America's best and most versatile actors. In What's Up Doc, he'd been laugh-out-loud funny, and in Love Story, he was a beautiful, crystal-clear man with blue eyes and a soft, miracle voice, an irresistible heartthrob. In Paper Moon, he was truly at the top of his game. However, as Peter Bogdanovich would say of Paper Moon, Ryan's wonderful in it, and he sat there and watched the kids steal the picture. I remained Ryan's companion on the Hollywood party circuit, growing inured to sex and drugs before I was in my teens, a needy little girl. Still haunted by neglect, I clung to him and even to the women in his life, Bianca Jagger, Angelica Houston, Melanie Griffith, and many more. However, the more love I craved, the more distant and abusive he grew, emotionally and physically. The role I longed to play was never written into Ryan's script. Daughter. I would go on to marry John McEnroe, another punishing man. He brought his trademark tantrums home from the tennis court and later when I left him to the court of law, trying to wrest my kids away. For a time he succeeded because after our divorce, I slipped into the darkness of depression and addiction that seems to be the family curse. To see my kids, I endured the humiliation of drug tests and supervision, but believing I'd failed them was my most agonizing shame. I told my children honestly of my struggles, and they responded with compassion greater than I'd imagined, or even thought I deserved. They forgave me at a time when I could barely forgive myself. So ultimately, Paper Moon didn't bring me love, but I did find it with them. Sitting with my beautiful, brilliant, healthy kids to celebrate the anniversary of the movie that saved me, changed me, and set me on my life's path was the supreme joy. The film itself is a diamond, a work of art, just as beautiful and poignant and evocative today as when we made it. I felt privileged to be a facet of such a jewel in the crown of American cinema. That, besides the gift of life itself, was my father's greatest gift to me. Watching myself play Addie from the perspective of adulthood, I can see the wise old soul behind that tiny plaintive face, and I think I love that little girl. It's painful to remember the heartaches that left her so self-possessed, so tenacious and brave, and sad to know that certain struggles never end, but I'm proud of her. I'm proud of what she's accomplished and what she's overcome. I've overcome neglect and deprivation. I've overcome abandonment and abuse. I've overcome physical and mental brutality and fought back. I've triumphed over addiction. I've stood my ground in life, alone, even against overwhelming forces with the might and money to crush me. I've purged myself of bitterness and anger and remained open to love. I've kept my moral compass intact and aimed at true north. I have survived and won. One, Dorothy A.K. Joanna. The story of Paper Moon reflects my childhood, but it also closely parallels my mother's and strangely foreshadows my daughter's. 
three generations of women, we all lost our mothers early in life. The first literally to death, the second virtually to addiction, and the third my daughter temporarily when I succumbed to familiar demons. It is a cycle that I am determined to break. My mother was born, like Addie, in the heart of the Great Depression, not in Kansas, but in America's Georgia. The elder of two daughters of Henry and Dorothy English Cook, she was named for her mother, but later christened herself Joanna. A letter from her cousin Libby, discovered after her death, depicts her childhood as cozy, rocking on an old porch swing, sitting by a pot-bellied stove, sliding down the banister at her grandmother's. She was the only one not in the car when her father swerved off the road because her mom fell asleep on his shoulder, plunging down a sandy embankment into a ravine. Both her mother and her baby sister Virginia died instantly. Henry, my mother's father, was badly hurt, but lingered for a year before dying of a ruptured spleen, or she always believed of a broken heart. So at age six, my mother became an orphan. For a time, she was farmed out to live with her maternal grandmother, who was confined to a wheelchair with an osteoporosis-like condition. She was also addicted to morphine, prescribed by the town doctor, making her the first known link to my family's chain of drug dependence. Even in that environment, my mother managed to bloom. She was pretty and vivacious, with a million-dollar smile and so talented at singing and playing the piano that she became a star at church. By the time my mother reached her early teens, however, her grandmother had grown too feeble and impoverished to raise her. She was adopted by a wealthy local family who saw her through high school and then sent her off to Agnes Scott College near Atlanta, which was one of the top...